Hello, this is Jim Wallace, and you're listening to a special edition of The Soul of a Nation, a podcast about how our faith should shape our politics and not the other way around. You can find Soul of a Nation on iTunes, Google Play, and on sojo.net. For more news, resources, and reflections on the nation's moral and health crisis, visit sojo.net. Today, I am delighted to be speaking with my friend John Carr about the Catholic vote in this election season. John Carr is the founder and director of the Initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life at Georgetown University, which promotes civil dialogue at the intersection of faith and public life and encourages a new generation of Catholic lay leaders. He served for over 20 years as director of the Department of Justice, Peace, and Human Development at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. He was a founder and is a leader of the Circle of Protection. He was also a Washington columnist at America Magazine and a resident fellow at the Institute of Politics at Harvard University. John, dear friend, how's your spirit these days in the middle of all of this stuff? Well, Jim, first of all, thank you. We've been friends and allies and partners for a long time. I'm I'm troubled. Uh, I don't know whether it's the the virus, the politics, uh, getting old, but I think there is so much at stake. Uh, my daughter's wedding has been postponed three times. Uh, we have some illness in our extended family. But one thing, uh, my daughter um, is uh, pregnant with our seventh grandchild. So in the midst of turmoil, uh, new life always shows itself. So uh, as a Catholic and as an old person, uh, they tell me not to go to mass, at least not very often. So my Eucharistic spirituality is uh, a little bit undermined, but I'm praying a lot more because I have a lot more and a lot more people to pray for. So uh, like most people, I'm trying the best I can to keep faith and have a little hope. Well, the story about your daughter uh, having a new life coming, that's that's a good theme for this whole conversation because we're going to hope and pray for that new life to come in all of our lives and in this country. It's been a lot of attention, John, as you know, in the media lately on Catholics, possibly even more than on evangelicals. In a recent CNN piece, you said that you said this, the call to consider character and integrity are weighing heavily on Catholics in this election. Say more about that. What conversations are you having among Catholics these days? You've heard the old uh, line, there is no Catholic vote, and it's really important. Uh, I'm a product of a mixed marriage. Both my parents are Minnesota Catholics, but my mother is absolutely committed Republican, and my dad was a diehard Democrat. So I learned at an early age that we can express our values in different ways. But uh, Catholics are important in this election because there are a lot of us and we live in states that are very much in play, and we're diverse. We're Democrats and Republicans. We're Latinos and African-Americans and Anglos, uh, liberals, conservatives, moderates. And both campaigns are coming after us because uh, uh, Catholics have voted for the winner in the 
11 of the last 12 elections. So I, for me and for a lot of people, character, integrity, competence counts. Uh, I think I'll just be blunt. The, the president has, by his own behaviors, actions, attitudes, words, has torn our country apart. And we have lost lives. We've lost opportunity. We've lost hope. I've never been this clear about a presidential election before, but I think the stakes are really high and it's important for believers to speak out. I respect those who come to a different position than I do. Uh, We're a big church. But uh, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a bishop, I'm not a church official anymore. So I thought I would share uh, how I was wrestling with this choice and where I came down. Yeah, well, let's, that's what we're here to talk about, how you, as a, you have been really, I think, one of the best teachers and practitioners of Catholic social teaching for a long time. You did that officially for a long time, now you're doing it at Georgetown. In the same CNN article, you spoke about uh, Latino families in your parish who have been affected by Trump's immigration policies and will not vote for the president. And African-American families, you say, are not going to vote for a president who fans the flames of racism. Tell us more about what you just said about the diversity of American Catholics and how that isn't often recognized much by the media. Well, Linda and I and our family are part of a little parish right right outside Washington, and we've got everybody. Uh, We have pro-lifers, I admire them, who are not going to vote for a Democrat because they have embraced a kind of abortion extremism, and frankly, Joe Biden has caved in to some of that. But as you suggest, we have a lot of Latino families, and if the president's going to demonize immigrants, he's talking about members of their families. And African-American families are a big part of our school and our church. We have people who care passionately about climate change. So I'm not going to substitute my conscience for theirs. Pope Francis says the church needs to form consciences, not replace them. But as one Catholic layman, I was going to make clear to my students and to others that the way I assess this is that there are fundamental questions facing the nation that test our faith, test our nation, and frankly, ought to test uh, Catholics. And for me, uh, a fundamental issue is racism. Now, he not only fans the flames, uh, his policies make everything worse. We've lost 225,000 people to the coronavirus, but... While that's affected all of us, it's especially affected families and communities of color. So for me, a moral imperative is to have a president who recognizes racism and will fight it instead of exacerbate it. And then the other question, as we touched earlier, is one of character and integrity and competence. I don't think there's a religious test Uh, for uh, the presidency. It's not whether they go to church or carry a rosary. But this president seems to have violated most of the Ten Commandments, especially the one 
about not bearing false witness. So for me, uh, the choice is clear, but not without reservation. I, I am my support of Biden is is not an embrace of the abortion extremism of the party. I'm sure your listeners would differ with some of that, but I think he will do more to heal this nation. He will try to make sure everybody has health care in the middle of a pandemic, and he will try to treat immigrants and Muslims and all of us with some dignity. Your initiative on Catholic social thought and public life focuses you every day on Catholic social teaching. And I've come to your events, which fill the auditoriums over Georgetown uh, with young people, students. You have applied these teachings to issues and choices for so long, and you're applying those teachings to this election. You're not saying I'm going Dem or Republican. You just told about your family and how it's fine to be Catholic and Democrat or Republican. But you are applying Catholic social teaching to this election and all the issues and choices in it. And because of that application, that seems to be why you've made this decision like you never had before for the first time, applying Catholic social teaching. It can be really complicated. Uh, Smarter people than me have written books about this. But I think the most important thing about Catholic social teaching is the word and, A-N-D. Catholic social teaching begins with human life and dignity. It's about uh, human rights and responsibilities. It's about care for the poor and the vulnerable. It's about solidarity and subsidiarity. It's about care for creation, but also for the poorest people on the earth. And frankly, our politics tears apart those principles, and our faith ought to bring them together. So most of my professional life has been trying to build bridges between various factions in the Catholic community. I have told our bishops that the role of the church is to be political but not partisan, not to be cheerleaders for any candidate or chaplain to any party, but to challenge everybody. We're to be principled but not ideological. We should not compromise on fundamentals in terms of human life or uh, the priority for the poor, but we ought to work with everybody to try and advance the common good. We should be civil, but not silent. Uh, We ought to speak up for what we believe and challenge our leaders. And finally, we should be engaged, but not used. And one of the things I worry about is some of our religious leaders in their quest for access, in their search for power, end up being used instead of engaged. You mentioned your students, uh, and you deal with students now all the time. What are your students saying about this election? And how are you encouraging them to apply their principles of faith to it? Uh, <laughs> they're really smart, and that, that scares me. But they're really different. Yesterday, Uh, We were talking about immigration. And I said, so, you know, a couple people have a story. And somebody came from Cuba and was really, their family had been touched by Castro's uh, policies on religious freedom. Somebody came from Armenia. Somebody came from Central America. And so 
my sense is they think less in terms of partisanship and ideology and more in terms of dignity and respect. And so for, I'll speak for myself, for an older white guy, uh, you know, who's big on doctrine, uh, they don't have as much time for the fights that we have. And they're looking for authenticity, they're looking for consistency, and they're looking for progress. And so I find them, you know, frankly, not very tolerant of a politics that divides, uh, not very excited about something that pits each of us against each other, and frankly, pretty dubious about religion that get used to score political points instead of to advance the common good. I, one of my students, I'm in Georgetown too, teaching in my class also yesterday, Faith, Race, and, and Politics 2020. And one of my students, one of the office hours beforehand, he's Catholic. And he talked about how he wasn't much drawn as a teenager to his catechism. They talked about, as you said, doctrine and dogma and uh, how the church works and operates. And he said, we never got talking much about like the teachings of Jesus, which we're talking about in this class. And boy, that would have been much more interesting to me, how to apply the teachings of Jesus to the world we're living in and to our lives. And also he's learning Catholic social teaching. Uh, and he said, that would have been great to apply as well. And the, the Pope, if we talked about what, you know, this Pope is saying now, uh, how to apply that. Now that had made me more interested in that kind of catechism. Well, we had a we have these wonderful dialogues where we get people with really different views. We had one last week with a Catholic who's voting for Trump, a Catholic who's voting for Biden, just to prove that we could have a civil conversation. But uh, and sometimes we have really smart people like you and theologians, and we even had the president of the United States at one, as you know. But I, my daughter was at one and. She drove home with me, and we had a session on Pope Francis. And I said, what did you think about that? We had, I think it was Ross Douthat and John Allen, you know, two big shots. And uh, she said, you know, what I liked is the woman who said, the Pope talks and walks like Jesus. That's why I like him. And so I think... By his simple ways and his strong words, we have a new encyclical, a powerful message. I think Pope Francis is lifting up the best of our faith and Christianity and saying that we ought to go to the edges. We ought to look at the world. We ought to look at politics. We ought to look at the economy from the bottom up. And we ought to look at our faith and our institutions from the outside in. And that's frankly a different perspective than uh, a lot of us have. You've mentioned the phrase uh, several times already, pro-life, and that's a big phrase in the Catholic world, also the evangelical world that I'm from. But you've already said that, uh, that racism is also a pro-life issue. When you say, John, you're a consistent pro-life Catholic. Uh, what does that mean? How does that go beyond uh, a single or a select issue or two? What does it mean to be, to really be pro-life? And I love your life and dignity 
pro-life in, in a political world like we're in right now? Consistent ethic of life was something Cardinal Bernadine talked about, Pope John Paul II talked about, Pope Francis has this wonderful metaphor of a scary metaphor of a throwaway society. It says we throw away the very young, the unborn, we throw away the very old, the elderly, we throw away immigrants, we throw away the weak, we throw away prisoners, we throw away people on death row. There are multiple threats to human life, and there has never been a moment in my mind that the consistent ethic has been more clear. We still have hundreds of thousands of abortions. We now have 220,000 people have left us because of this pandemic and frankly, because of the incompetence of our government. We have literally been watching African-American men killed in our streets. And now we even have the reinstitution of the federal death penalty. So every life is sacred. And I don't think, frankly, we're going to prevail on abortion or the death penalty or the rest of it until we can agree on the dignity of all. And neither political party is there. And so a lot of the time, I frankly feel politically homeless. But uh, if, if you are homeless, you ought to find a shelter. And one of the shelters I've found is our common work at the Circle of Protection and with Sojourners and with others where we try and stand consistency for every life, all lives. You, this notion of being homeless, uh, you've often expressed that so well. In a na- National Catholic Reporter article, you say, we have Catholic Republicans uh, who say extreme immigration policies and racist rhetoric doesn't represent me. Uh, I think there's uh, that's a test. Uh, part of the reason you say I'm homeless is that we're not called to be cheerleaders or chaplains. We're, we've got to be, we got to challenge ourselves and both parties. You've thought about this a lot. Reflect on that political homelessness thing a bit more. Unpack that and how that often feels in today's society. For really a lot of people who really aren't comfortable or feel at home uh, uh, in either party, I often say, as you heard me say, don't go left, don't go right, go deeper. What does it mean to feel and be politically homeless? And what do we do about that going forward? Well, Jim, you and I, we can get in more trouble by challenging our progressive friends to focus less on the culture war and more on poverty. Uh, my, my sense is, think about this. If you are a Pope Francis Catholic, if you are a Jim Wallace Evangelical, if you are a John Paul II Catholic, I don't think you could be nominated for the Supreme Court Uh, I don't think you could be nominated in either party for president. I don't think you could have a major cabinet official. Imagine a Democrat who came in and said, I support this party. I have been a part of it. Uh, I'm not for abortion without restrictions. I'm not for uh, forcing people to pay for other people's abortions. I do think that 
we ought to be careful so that uh, Christian ministries can serve the poor without penalty. He would never get through or she would never get through the vetting process. And imagine a Republican who came in and said, you know what, I'm true blue, uh, but I'm not comfortable with the way we talk about immigrants. And I think climate change is a big problem. Uh, the, uh, they wouldn't get through, but it's easy to sort of wring our hands and stand back and judge others. Part of the reason we're homeless is we haven't persuaded other people to join us. And one of my favorite lines comes from our friend, Mark Shields. He says, you can tell the health of an organization is whether they're looking for converts or trying to find heretics. I think People like us, consistent ethnic Christians, uh, need need to be looking for converts instead of standing back and judging others. Uh, we need to engage and persuade, uh, not only in election time, but every day. You often talk about Pope Francis. You are here again today, and he's just two uh, two statements in this election season. One about a broad statement on. Uh, the global economy and what it means to look at that from a gospel point of view. And a few days ago, um, uh, he he supported same-sex civil unions causing quite a stir among many Catholics by saying homosexuals have a right to be part of a family. They are children of God, have a right to a family. Uh, so he wants to support civil, civil unions. Um, how, how do, how do, what he said about the global economy. And then he said about uh, people having a need for a right to a family. How does that kind of leadership or encyclical, how does that impact uh, the Catholic church? Uh, how does that impact not just bishops and priests, but, but ordinary Catholic folks living their lives when, when he speaks to, to uh, the throwaway culture or uh, what he said recently about what the global economy should look like and that he wants everyone to have uh, to be able to be part of uh, part of a family. How does that impact the Catholic world? Well, if you're listening, uh, Pope Francis makes you nervous. Uh, he, as I said, looks at everything from the bottom up and he starts with the human person, with the dignity of every person. And so he had 294 paragraphs. I read every one of them the night it came out. And his essential message is we're part of one family, we're sisters and brothers, and we ought to act like it. And he took on the people who divide us, the leaders who divide us. And then on, on the question of our gay sisters and brothers, lesbian, transgendered, he, he said they're part of a family too. And it won't surprise you that the Catholic Church doesn't support homosexuality and he doesn't support uh, same-sex marriage. But he says there ought to be a way for people who are together to be protected under the law. And so the most important thing to remember about Pope Francis is he's a pastor, which makes him a really good pope. And some of us are looking for a disciplinarian, are looking for a culture warrior, are looking for somebody who agrees with us on politics. And Pope Francis is always going to disappoint 
those of us who think that way. Uh, he is first and foremost a disciple of Jesus. And so he's, he's looking for a way to put love at the center of everything, whether it's the global economy or whether it's our fights in this country about culture. You know, um, he also he also tends to think about real people's lives and what they're experiencing every day. I I love the the way he always looked at the priests he had in Argentina and whether their shoes were dirty or not. He liked priests with dirty shoes, which means means they were out on the ground. They were walking and living and working among people. He didn't like clean, polished, and he doesn't like those red Pope shoes. Uh, but but dirty shoes, he likes that because he wants to get involved in people's lives and 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 our sometimes both our dogma and our ideology is so far above real people's lives. Uh, and so, you know, it's when when pro-life evangelicals who've been speaking recently and think abortion is a moral issue, but they're not calling for criminalization of people. They want to support low-income women who are the ones who are most often uh, facing those decisions. And how they talk about how the policies that uh, Joe Biden's offering are going to do more to reduce abortion than anything else, right? And then, uh, uh, but sometimes others in the Democratic Party don't want to talk about reducing abortion. So we're, we're just stuck in these ideological ideas above the ground that really don't translate in the care and love for people's lives. So what does it mean? You just said a powerful thing. Put love at the center of a global economy. What does in, in the world does that mean? But isn't that what we're supposed to do to love real people, love them in their tragedies, their tough choices, their problems. And, and somehow to, I think a lot of people in the world think that Pope Francis is, is kind of on their side, you know, and, and I think that's what uh, uh, our politics these days are, who you're against and who you hate and your vote for the person that hates the same people you do, instead of saying, are there some ways forward here? Are there some ways we can find our way? And actually, instead of finger pointing and blaming all the time, find some solutions to all these things. And uh, so in a sense, those of us who want to do that feel homeless, but that's what a lot of people, I think, are hungry for. Pope Francis, I was going to say, doesn't like ideologues of the left or the right. When he was in Argentina, he wasn't a big fan of uh, folks who sort of bought a Marxist uh, analysis of society. And now that he's in, uh, in Rome and leading the church, he doesn't think the market is the measure of everything. He thinks human dignity is the measure of the market. So he doesn't have much time for our battles. One of the things is he doesn't think about the United States all the time. We're a global church. And so when he came uh, to Washington, when he came to talk to the uh, United Nations and others, it was the first time he had been here. And he showed enormous respect. I, I was in the hall when he talked to Congress, talking about Dr. King and Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Merton and Dorothy Day, uh, lifting up our heroes. But he's challenging all of us, left, right, Catholic, evangelical, 
my experience is there are a lot of people outside the Catholic Church who are, are more excited by Pope Francis' leadership than people inside. When I was growing up, the test was whether you agreed with the Pope, not whether the Pope agreed with you. And I think uh, we've got some people in our community who basically are looking for the Pope to embrace their ideological agenda or their political preferences, and they're going to be disappointed uh, no matter what uh, party or ideology they champion. I find it makes me profoundly uncomfortable, which is a good thing for a Christian to be. So, John, you, uh, you're one of the leaders of the... Uh politically homeless caucus. Sometimes I hear you talk about the sanity caucus. What, what does that caucus look like going forward after this election, no matter who wins or loses? I'm a great believer in civility and uh, dialogue and building bridges. When we call ourselves the sanity caucus, uh, it's probably not a very good thing to say because it suggests that everybody else is crazy. Some days it feels that way, but it's it's not a great way to build bridges or civility. I think uh, to use a Jim Wallace phrase, we have to go deeper. That what happens on election day is the beginning, not the end. And if if Biden wins and I'm I'm supporting him, I'm really clear with Joe Biden that my support has to do with what he's going to do to overcome the pandemic. Uh, to overcome poverty, to provide health care for people, to deal with racism. I'm not interested in repealing the Hyde Amendment or a big culture war agenda. I think there will be a battle for the soul of the Democratic Party. And I think if Trump wins or loses, there is a battle or should be a battle for the soul of the Republican Party that used to welcome immigrants and uh, stand against racism. We have experienced times in Washington where people with different perspectives, different politics came together to protect the poor and the vulnerable, to overcome hunger, uh, to provide uh, help to people who have HIV AIDS. So I think the day after the election, we ought to be looking for some common ground and we ought to focus on the priorities of the gospel, which are the people at the bottom who have been left behind. So there's a lot of work to do. Starting now, a week from now, a month from now, and a year from now. Well, John, as you know, one of the favorite things people say often about Catholic social teaching, they say it's one of the best kept secrets in the Catholic Church. There may be some truth to that. But more than anybody I know, you are letting the secret out about Catholic social teaching. And I love at Georgetown when uh, you get to talk about that. And, and students at Georgetown uh, Jesuit school would say, I've never heard that before. And so you're, you're letting this, this uh, sometimes well-kept secret out. But it's a wonderful secret. It's a sacred secret, and it shouldn't be secret anymore. So thank you for the way you lift up the best of your church and Catholic social teaching really every day. And you're doing it now during this, this election too. So I'm very grateful for that. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. If it is a secret, if we're homeless, it's because we have not done a good job, a uh, good enough job uh, sharing uh, the gospel 
and bringing people together uh, to work together to protect both human life and human dignity. You have done that for decades that we work together. And uh, let's hope that this coming year will give us an opportunity to demonstrate that the Christian community can work with people of goodwill, of every faith and no faith, to try and find some common ground and to lift up those who have been left behind. Thank you for joining us, John, to hear more about John Carr's work and you'll want to hear more about it. Check out the initiative on Catholic Social Thought and Public Life at Georgetown on Twitter at G-U-C-S-T Public Life. G-U-C-S-T Public Life. For more Soul Nation updates, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow me on Twitter if you like, at Jim Wallace. Blessings to all of you, and blessings on this nation as we look ahead to some very important days uh, that we'll we'll face, and John, as John said, days and choices that will determine uh, really what the name of this podcast is, The Soul of the Nation. Blessings on all of you. Thank you.